every once in a while, uh, Stephen, my artist son, I have a left brain son who does uh, software, and I have a right brain son who does art and writes. And so Stephen, the right brain son, who sometimes sits in the back there, has drawn uh, the last one he did was three or four years ago when we went through this before. This is his interpretation of Numbers 21 and the Bronze Serpent. And so he sketched up something for me to, uh, to show you. So that was really good. I liked it a lot. Um, okay, what do I want to talk about first? Oh, yeah, okay, here it is. Uh, if many of you are familiar with this little poem-ette, it's not long enough to be a poem, I don't think, but uh, there's a poem. Uh, John Whittier wrote this, For of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. See any connection with the lesson tonight? If you don't, you will by the end. For of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. Numbers is our book of obedience. And uh, let's see. You've seen this before. This is not new. But I got to keep telling you so that when I call you at 2 in the morning, ask you to uh, email me the map, you'll email me the map. First generation of Israel, they're in Egypt. Ten plagues, get them out. They come out by grace, through faith, under blood. They are... They are redeemed by grace, through faith, under blood. They come out under the blood of a lamb, a Passover lamb. We've talked about this doorway before. God leads them. This is, remember, this is my dry bridge through the Red Sea. I know that's not a sea, but it takes up less room if I draw it that way. So they come out of Egypt. They pass through the Red Sea. They go into the wilderness so that God can test them and know it was in their heart. He takes them to Mount Sinai. Why does he take them to Mount Sinai? They've been slaves here. He takes them here and gives them a bunch of rules. Is that weird to you? Did we talk about this before? We probably did. Why? Hearing nothing? <laughs> People think freedom is doing whatever you want. What is freedom? Obeying God's word. And that's why Jesus, in some of those red words, says, you shall know the truth and it shall set you free. Because it's not just free out of Egypt free, it's free, true freedom is found in obeying God's word. It's not found in just living however you want. So he takes the children of Israel here, he enters into a covenant with them, and he's trying to teach them, freedom is found in obeying my word. Obey my word, that's where freedom is. If you don't obey my word, not so much freedom, not so good. They go, yep, 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 we got it. He says, great, let's go to Kadesh Barnea. We're going to go up into the promised land. They get to Kadesh Barnea. 
Remember what happens? Twelve spies have to go. Ten said no. Two said go. And it was Joshua and Caleb who said, let's go. What do they want to do to Joshua and Caleb? Stone them. Right? And so God says, I've had it. I've had it. He says, you've tested me these ten times by the time they're in there. And if you actually go back and count it up, you'll find ten. You've tested me these ten times. And so now the spies walk through the promised land for 40 days. You are going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. And the whole first generation who I brought out of Egypt is going to die out here. Remember this? The first generation never got here. Ugh. Now, by the time we reach chapter mm, 20, 22, 20 around in there, by the time we hit Balaam and Balak, Israel is on the move up to here. And so we've crossed over into the second generation in some of the, some of the story, but... I, get, I know that that's what's happening. But when we get up here, they're beginning to come around. Here's the Jordan, and they're going to come in from this way. Remember, they, they're going to come across. Because we're still trying to answer the question, how did we get here? How did we get to this place where we're right across from the promised land? And Moses has connected all of that way back into the creation of the earth and all the way into the creation of the nation, and then redemption from Egypt, and then mm, 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 all this stuff. So he's taking them on this journey to teach them about himself and about what a walk in faith looks like. So if we make a, make a chart out of that, this is what it looks like. He promised them in Genesis their inheritance, and he told them in Exodus, we're going to go to the land. In Joshua, we know they possess their inheritance, And Canaan is the place where they're going to experience God's best. And in between, we have the book of Numbers, which is the testing of their faith, wilderness, unbelief, and disobedience, regrettably, is some of the big story of the book of Numbers. Big lesson. From heaven's point of view, there's obviously more to being rescued from Egypt than just being counted among the number of the redeemed. There's fulfilling God's expectation, being one of those on whom he can count to pursue his purposes and his ends in that generation. That's heaven's point of view for the first generation who came out of Egypt. It wasn't just, woohoo, we're out. He had a plan for them. He had something in mind for them. That was, go take the promised land. So, what do we see in these chapters, 15 through 25, about the first generation who left Egypt? We've already talked a little bit, if you can see this. Here's the first generation. They come out, they go through the Red Sea. God has taken care of them miraculously. They've seen all kinds of amazing things. On Mount Sinai, they get the Ten Commandments. He says, okay, let's number you. Everybody march. Let's go, we go up here, we're afraid, let's send spies. They come back and say, 
we can't take it, we can't take it. And he says, you're afraid you're going to die in the wilderness, then that's what you're going to get. That's the first generation. What do we see in these chapters about the first generation? We see substandard saints. Substandard saints. Key word in this. Saints. Why? How did they come out of Egypt? By grace, God said, do this. This is how you live, right? Obey me. By grace, they didn't think it up. God said, do this. They said, we believe you. What was the evidence of their belief? They put blood on the doorpost. What happened? Angel passed over them, preserving their lives, and they were they came out as redeemed people, just like Cody talked about this morning. Hey, we didn't even coordinate on this. Just like Cody talked about this morning, they were redeemed. The price was paid through a Passover lamb, and they were brought out of Egypt, out of, basically, out of slavery. Okay. They were redeemed. When you go through this, some people start getting real heartburn because they're like, oh my gosh, what happened to them out there? And they all died, and now they're in hell. Um, I don't think so. I'm sure there's some, like the rabble who came with them. But these people were redeemed. Okay? So don't, don't get all panicky like, oh my gosh, it looks like you can lose your salvation. They're going to die out there. No, no, stop, 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 stop. Don't go there. That's not true. The lesson that is true is almost as bad, though. These substandard saints, it may at times be hard to distinguish them from the unsaved or the natural or carnal man from 1 Corinthians 3. Paul talks about the carnal man who thinks according to the ways of the world, who thinks according to what's right in his own mind, not thinks according to the Scripture. So it may be at times hard to distinguish these people, these first-generation people, from this kind of person. Their thinking and actions are prompted by the flesh and or the world rather than the spirit. They are spiritual infants or children and seem content to remain as such. They haven't grown spiritually, which is abnormal. These substandard saints don't act in accordance with who they are in Christ or who God has made them to be. So they don't enter into the promised land. Instead, they wander in the wilderness and waste their lives. The book of Numbers is a warning to the second generation to not be like the first generation. The warning is there for us, too, that it's possible for us to, in some, in some places you've heard it, fire insurance, you know, I got my fire insurance, I've trusted Christ and I can go live however I want because God will forgive me. No. Rewind. From heaven's point of view, there's obviously more to being rescued from Egypt than just being counted among the number of the redeemed. 
There's fulfilling God's expectation, being one of those on whom he can count to pursue his purposes and his ends in that generation. That has not changed from 1500 B.C. to 2019 A.D. There's more at stake than just being counted among the redeemed. And the warning for the second generation and the warning for us is that it is possible to be so earthly-minded that you will miss what God has for you in your inheritance. That should be a sobering thought, but it's not, oh my gosh, I've lost my salvation. Okay? That would be the worst thing. But this warning is bad. This is a sit up and listen, take notice, second generation. This is a sit up and notice, take, take this in, Christian. It's possible to wander the wilderness and waste your life and miss what God has for you. I've been asked, I, I get asked on this lesson every time. It usually comes like this. Brother, I can't wait to see how you're going to tie these ten chapters together. It is a scrapbook. It's a scrapbook. And there are 14 pictures in this scrapbook. Pictures uh, selected to tell the story of the first generation's life. It's a scrapbook, like this scrapbook. This scrapbook, kind of, but not, not, it doesn't have 14 pictures, but this, this scrapbook has a little bit of my life. Yes. Look at that. So that's probably in preschool. Goodness, you're a good-looking boy. Mm. So by first grade, um, I, was a, I was a good kid in first grade, and I got home after school, and my mom made me go upstairs to change my clothes, and I didn't want to, and so in between my ADD of drawing robots and some other things, uh, I wrote my parents a note. Mommy and Daddy, I have gan away because you made me go up the, and I didn't know how to spell stairs, so I drew a picture of stairs into my room to change, I thought that's what change ought to look like, chidge my calls, the end, good day, or good die. <laughs> yeah, my mom kept that note, and uh, so last time I was up there, I took a picture of it. Yeah, that's a highlight of my life right there. But that's part of, that's, that's a picture that tells a story of, of me. There's a, there's a story behind this picture. Okay? Oh, yeah. Drink it in. That's, uh, let's see, my senior year in high school. Yep, that was me. It's probably a story behind that. I don't remember it. Uh, I think I forgot that there were school pictures that day, is what I think. It's a pencil, 
it's a 0.5 millimeter pencil. Of course you know. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's a that's a pencil, a mechanical pencil in my pocket. I didn't use those other kind. <laughs> mechanical pencil. <laughs> uh, no slide rules. Those were already gone. Yeah, slide rules. Uh, so anyway, there's lots of stories about that. Uh, this was in 2010. This was Christmas Eve of 2010. Goodness, the sanctuary had only been open four years, and uh, my young guys are younger. Wow. Uh, that was a great year. We loved that year. A few years ago then, um, every once in a while, I'm asked to step out of character, who I am, and step into other roles, and Kathy Burr asked me to dress up for the uh, superheroes kids camp they did. The challenge with this one was, you'll notice, I wear glasses. Uh, this particular mask, there was no way to wear glasses. Now, in a big setting, that's not so much of a problem. But if you're asked to go up on the stage and dance around and do things, and there's other people, and there's bright lights, it can be a little blurry. <laughs> so fortunately, I didn't fall off the stage. Uh, but anyway, a uh, team player wanted to, be, wanted to be Batman. So there's just stories. We all have scrapbooks, and every picture has a story behind it. That's what's happening in 15 through 25. There are 14 pictures in the first generation's scrapbook. Each story, each, each picture has a story and a spiritual lesson handpicked by God for the scrapbook. That's what we're going to look at in these next few chapters. We're going to fly really high. You're going to want to know a lot of things that are down in the weeds and... Um, we can talk about those after class if you'd like to. Lessons from the wilderness. Illustrations of the carnal mind. First generation, substandard saints. Illustrations of the carnal mind. Each one of these little pictures and the spiritual story that goes with it illustrates, for the most part, don't do this. Don't think this, don't do this, don't live this way. There are little pictures to help you and me. They were there to help the second generation, but they're also there to help you and me to know, how does God want me to live? How does he want me to think? What does he want me to prioritize? What does he want me to value? We've got little pictures coming up in these, in these chapters. Here's the big idea for tonight, if you get nothing else. It's the spiritually minded, not the carnally minded saint who will enter into God's full inheritance for him or her in his or her generation. It's the spiritually minded, not the carnally minded, who will enter into God's full inheritance. Living proof, the first generation decided they didn't want what God had for them. We can do that today. So, 14 pictures. First, the carnally minded, and they'll all start this way. You've seen that on your outline. The first one is Numbers chapter 15. 
Uh, let's see. The, this was the Lord's instructions for voluntary and free will offerings in the promised land. Uh, and the consequences for those who unintentionally disobey as well as those who intentionally disobey. And then at the end of the chapter, there are reminders to obey. Particularly good for uh, the second generation as well as the first. So there's the picture in chapter 15. Remember we talked about intentional sins, unintentional sins, and tassels on clothing. The carnally minded... Here's the picture. Won't accept or obey God's word. They don't honor his holiness in their worship. They don't imitate his holiness in their walk. The spiritually minded, on the other hand, accept God's word and follow it. Question. Is there a particular passage or area of scripture that you know and understand but are struggling to follow in your life. If you're new to our class, this is the book I love to hate. It is called Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. Jerry is with Jesus now. I get not one dollar off of every book sold, but this is a book that should be in your library. Respectable Sins. Funny title. (laughs) Yeah, you have an assignment Let me just, I'll just pick one at random. (laughs) Uh, hmm. This uh, chapter is called Discontentment. Uh, Here are some examples of discontentment. It's from Jerry. An unfulfilling or low-paying job. Singleness well into midlife or beyond. Inability to bear children. An unhappy marriage. Physical disabilities. Continual poor health. He says many people have one or more of these as constant circumstances in their lives. What does he go on to say here? Uh, That sometimes, okay, whoops, it's right back here. He said sometimes uh, we can get anxious about these things. Huh, crumb, really? Paul says in Philippians, what? Be anxious for what? What? Is that a a part of scripture you know and understand? Did you get anxious this past week? Uh, How about sometimes those kinds of things can cause us to worry? (laughs) Jesus had something to say about worry, didn't he? What did he say? (laughs) Do not worry. And you say, well, Bill, what does it say in the Greek? It's very, it's very clear. It says this, do not worry. That's a 
verse you all are well familiar with, right? You, you've, you understand it. You embrace it. You agree with it. Did anybody worry last week? Hmm. <laughs> Frustration. Anybody get frustrated? Gosh. I hate this book. <laughs> now you're starting to see why. Uh, Jerry does a fabulous job, in my opinion. This is, this, is a, this is a book we should all read. He would say, look, everybody knows stuff like murder. I mean, that's, a, that's not a respectable sin. You know, murder. But what are the respectable sins that we commit and actually think nothing of? Right here. He's got a few listed. You could come up with more. Is there a particular passage or area of Scripture that you know and understand but are struggling to follow in your life? If so, as you look in the mirror this evening with me, you have to say, huh. okay, I thought I was pretty spiritually minded, but in that one little verse right there, maybe not as much as I just thought I was. Maybe I'm a little more carnally minded than I thought. So before you leap to judgment on our first generation of Israelites, think slowly and deeply about your own life. And I think you'll have a renewed compassion for these folks because we are very much like them and they are very much like us. But the carnally minded won't accept or obey God's word. And we saw all kinds of illustrations, especially in last week's lesson, right, with Kadesh Barnea. God said, go do this. They said, we're not going. And then God says, don't go, and they go. They completely disregard and ignore his word. The spiritually minded, on the other, on the other hand, accepts God's word and follows it according to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. First picture in the scrapbook. Second picture, chapter 16 and 17 together. Korah, who's a Levi, what does he want? He doesn't want to be a Levite anymore. He wants to be a priest. <laughs> okay. And so uh, he manages to get 250 other notable people in the community. So these are probably 250 other spiritual leaders. So Korah was a something. This person wasn't just a, a guy running around. This guy had enough influence to be able to get 250 people to agree with him. He goes to Moses. Uh, they united against Moses and Aaron and said, You've gone too far! The whole community of Israel has been set apart by the Lord, and he is with all of us. What right do you have to act as though you are greater than the rest of the Lord's people? When Moses heard what they were saying, he fell face down on the ground. Oh my gosh. Korah and his followers rebel. That doesn't really work out very well for them. As the story progresses, 
By the time we get to verse 43 of chapter 16, Moses and Aaron came and stood in front of the tabernacle, and the Lord said to Moses, get away from all these people so that I can instantly destroy them. But Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. Can you imagine this? These are 250 people who are trying to take over. And what do Moses and Aaron do? Fall on their face and pray. Unbelievable. The plague had already started and 14,700 people died in that plague. Yeah. As well, some people fell on the earth. <laughs> I mean, the earth opens up and swallows tents of people. I mean, how much does it take? He's gotten you out of Egypt. You saw some plagues. He got you across the Red Sea. That might have been a little bit amazing. He takes you out in the wilderness. He's supplied water and manna for you every day. He's brought you to the mountain. He's given you Ten Commandments. He's done all these things. And you go, you know what I want? I want to be, I want to have Moses' job. I don't want to be where I want to be. I want to be where he is. Chapter 17, the fun continues. And the Lord says to Moses, tell the people of Israel to bring you 12 wooden staffs, one from each leader of Israel's ancestral tribes and inscribe each leader's name on his staff. And he says, I'm going to show them who's got the power of life, basically. Okay? Who has the power of life? Aaron's rod buds. No one else's buds. Can you imagine? You're one of the other 11 walking around going, oh. <laughs> my staff, nothing. What, is that something right there? No, I guess it's nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing. I mean, I get to chapter 17, and I'm thinking, gee, you, you got to toe the mark here. Not so with, uh, with my brothers and sisters. The carnally-minded won't accept or follow God's leaders. 250-plus didn't want the role God had given them. Instead, they selfishly desired leadership, authority, or greatness over other men rather than service. The spiritually minded, on the other hand, accept God's leaders and follow them. Question, is there a particular spiritual leader in your life to whom you're struggling to submit? The carnally minded. You know what the carnally minded do about their spiritual leaders that they don't care for? It starts with a G and ends with an ossip. Gossip, gossip. And where do they do it? To the person's face? In the highways and byways. Or at their home group. Or at dinner. Or instead of following Matthew 18 and saying, I have a problem with you, they just gossip about it out there. That person is behaving like one with a carnal mind, not a spiritual mind. Guess who sees? Is that pretty obvious in these chapters that somebody's looking? <laughs> somebody's watching? 
carnally minded won't accept or follow God's leaders. Next picture. Chapter 18, the first seven verses. Uh, and he talks about uh, a warning is given to Aaron and to the Levites to not neglect their calling or their work. Why? Because the carnally minded neglect their privileged calling. The priesthood is God's gift to his people. The Levites are God's gift to the priests. To leave off the work is to cut off the people from worship. If these folks stop doing their job, worship is cut off for the people. So he warns them, God warns them, don't neglect your privileged calling. The spiritually minded serve under the direct supervision of the Lord Jesus Christ, the high priest. And they serve as his gift of a priesthood of believers to and before all men. Picture number four. Eight through 32, which is the end of the chapter. It's the end of 18. The priests are to live off the sacrifices and offerings of the people. The Levites are to live off of the tithes of the people. And the high priest is to live off of the tithes of the Levites. So everybody's dependent on someone else. The carnally minded neglect, neglect to care for God's servants. You've read ahead in the Old Testament before. What's happening by the time the book of Judges rolls around? We've got Levites wandering around looking for work because nobody is taking care of the tabernacle. Therefore, them, it, the whole system is beginning to come unraveled because the people have become carnally minded. They neglect to care for God's servants. The priests live off the sacrifices and offerings of the people. The Levites, the tithes of the people, and the high priest, the tithes of the Levites. The spiritually minded, on the other hand, care for God's servants. And also, also say, in our day, for God's ministries, of which if you were here at one of the hours today, Ted told you about the um, fantastic thing that happened at Joe T's for our wonderful Bless the Blue. Uh, where we were privileged to serve lunch and dinner to 875 of the Fort Worth PD. You all made that happen. That was amazing. Thank you. So this is not just about the servants. I don't want you to think I'm up here lecturing you about me. This is a very, very generous congregation. But the spiritually minded care for God's servants and steward their resources appropriately. The carnally minded leave off on that. The only thing I'll tell you on this one, not because it applies to anyone here, but this, this was true at a, another church I was in years and years ago, decades ago, as a, just a person leading a small group. 
And this guy said, I don't believe it's, um, uh, what did he say? Not true. Um, right. I don't believe it's right for the people, for us, to give money for the pastors. And I said, huh, why do you think that? And he said, ah, they should all be tent makers, like Paul. I said, hmm, interesting. I said, you know, so what else do you believe or not believe? He said, well, you know, my tithe is my service. I said, huh, I'm crazy. <laughs> Look, everybody here was engaged in doing something, and yet they still put some, a little bit of money on the table. Anyway, we had a good conversation. He, uh, they didn't come back to the group. Well, anyway, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying he was carnally minded, but who knows. The spiritually minded care for God's servants and God's ministries, and they steward their resources appropriately. Fifth picture. Uh, this is chapter 19. Ah, the red heifer. You know, every once in a while, you'll see a Google, and Israel thinks they've got a red heifer, right? The, a red heifer is born, and they kind of watch it for a while to make sure, you know, maybe this is it, maybe this is it. Well, you read why they're watching for this. The red heifer was a very interesting, um, it wasn't a sacrifice, uh, but they burned it. And then they took the ashes, and they put the ashes in a clean place, because if you got defiled... You had to go outside the camp and you had to take a little bit of the red heifer ash and some clean water and then you, that was part of the ritual to become clean. Remember that? Okay. So chapter 19, uh, you know, there's, well, anyway, okay. The carnally minded are casual or optional toward holiness. And he talks about the red heifer. He talks about the cleansing process. And then 19, verse 20, he says, But those who become defiled and do not purify themselves will be cut off from the community, for they have defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. Since the water of purification has not been sprinkled on them, they remain defiled. You could imagine that there are people in the camp who get defiled, and who say, because they're carnally minded, I don't care. And, and as long as nobody knows, I don't have to do anything about it. I'm not going to shave and I am not going outside of the camp and I'm not going to do that ash and water. Phooey, takes a week. That's a week off work. No way. No way am I doing that. The carnally minded are casual or optional toward holiness. The spiritually minded, on the other hand, pursue holiness for fellowship with God. He has said, be holy as I am holy. He said it in Leviticus, I think, eight times. Uh, Peter quotes it in 1 Peter. Of course, 1 John 1, 9 uh, tells you and tells me how if we are ready to confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And so in a, and since he's acting, he's the cleansing agent these days. So the spiritually minded pursue holiness 
for fellowship with God. What is the carnally minded who's casual and optional toward holiness? How does he or she really feel about his or her relationship with the Lord? It's optional. You know, if it's, if it's easy, if it's convenient, I'm in. But if it's hard, if there's sacrifice, poof, forget it. I'm not going to do it. The carnally minded are casual or optional toward holiness, whereas the spiritually minded pursue holiness because that's where God lives. He lives in holiness. Picture 6, chapter 20. In the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, If only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with all our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. I think I, think I know what I would have done if I was Moses. Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell face down on the ground. You and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community as the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff, and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. This place was known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing, because there the people of Israel argued with the Lord, and there he demonstrated his holiness among them. Can you imagine what you have gone through for the past 40 years with these people? You have a bad day. (laughs) They've pushed your buttons one too many times. (laughs) You hit the rock. Water comes out just the same. But you are told by God, you are not going into the promised land. Can you imagine this? What does Moses do? gets back to work. Moses is an amazing individual. I would have stomped off into the desert. Okay, Lord, you lead him. No, thank you. 
That's not Moses. At the very end, Moses asks, right, hey, Lord, can I, can I go in? And God says, no, but I'll let you see it. And he takes him up to the high place and he shows him the promised land. But he doesn't let him go in. My goodness gracious. The carnally minded, on the other hand, not Moses, don't heed God's rebuke. It's the same people, the same sin, they have the same spirit as they did before. Moses this time has a different response and incurs a very painful discipline. This is one time Moses behaved with a carnal mind rather than a spiritual mind. So many lessons in this particular picture. We don't have time to go into them all. But the spiritually minded know testing will bring more maturity or reveal their immaturity. They realize leadership is held to higher standards. And they know faithfulness is more important than reward. The spiritually minded. Some great pictures. Ready? I'm going to go real fast. Manna. The manna. Manna. It's a picture of the incarnation. Jesus says so in John chapter 6. Heaven, the bread of heaven came down to earth. Okay? Manna, picture of his incarnation. There was another time when they, Moses hit the rock representing his crucifixion, his incarnation, his crucifixion. And what is this? Speak to the rock, and out of it comes living water that he will give the spirit to those who, you know. So you got the incarnation, you got the crucifixion, you got the giving of the spirit. Remember John says, you know, he equates it to the fountain of water, the little bubbling stream of water. Oh, my gosh. Okay, stop. Fun. Too fun. Picture seven. Chapter 20, the second half of the chapter, uh, they come out of, uh, uh, they're, they're leaving Kadesh, they're coming up through Edom, they need to pass through Edom, but there's a lot of people there. Edom says, don't come this way, and so they had to go the long way around rather than the shortest way, which was through Edom. So Israel, Jacob, and Edom and Esau, they had a common father, Isaac. Not to mention, Israel has been in bondage and mistreated. Edom, as a brother, should have given him safe and easy passage through his land, but didn't. Because the carnally minded seek the, seek the quickest and easiest path. The spiritually minded, on the other hand, go out of their way, not the most direct way, to live at peace with all men. As far as it's possible with you, live at peace with all men. For those of you who have walked that one out once or twice in your life, you understand this. It is not the quickest way. You have to go out of your way. All they had to do is give you permission to go straight this way, but they aren't going to do it, so you have to go the long way. And you did that so that you could live at peace with all of them. The carnally minded, though, are always seeking the quickest, easiest path. 
They're not willing to take the long path. Eighth picture. Aaron dies. Yeah, and he takes Eleazar up on the mountain. He dresses Eleazar in the garments. They come back down. When the people realize that Aaron had died, all Israel mourned for him 30 days. So Miriam is past. Aaron is past. The carnally minded lack humility about their role. It's around the fifth month of the 40th year. Aaron dies, and Eleazar, his son, replaces him as high priest. I mean, can you, verse 24, you know, some of us wish this is kind of how God would come for us. The time has come for Aaron to join his ancestors in death, is what he tells Moses. He will not enter the land I'm giving the people of Israel because the two of you rebelled against my instructions concerning the water at Meribah. Do you see Aaron pitching a fit? This is a positive picture of Aaron. We've had so many negative pictures of Aaron. <laughs> I just threw the gold in the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> Lots of negative pictures of Aaron. Here's a very positive one. Aaron was humble about his role. And the spiritually minded know that God's workmen change, but his work continues. Ninth picture, chapter 21. We start talking about, uh, oh, first we got to get to the snake. Yeah, oh my goodness. Well, in chapter 21, the Canaanites, and then we begin to see the Moabites, and then we sing the Mosquitoites, and we see the, the Amorites. We see all these enemies of Israel begin to uh, gather around them. The carnally minded, however, first three verses, uh, the Canaanite king, he lives, he hears that Israel is coming, so he attacks the Israelites and took some of them as prisoners. Now, how do you, how do you get prisoners? I mean, it's possible you overwhelmed them, but what's another way you could get prisoners? Israel doesn't know what's going on. They're not aware. They're not paying attention to what's going on around them. The carnally-minded lack alertness toward enemies. The Israelites were caught off guard. Their fathers had been here before, and Joshua had led them to victory. But the sons were given do-overs from their fathers, uh, and their fathers were victorious under Joshua. So the Israelites are caught off guard. The carnally-minded lack alertness toward enemies. The spiritually-minded know the enemy is on the prowl. 1 Peter 5.8, like a roaring lion. They seek the Lord for help and strength for battle, and they show their enemies no mercy. Picture 10, move on in chapter 21, 4 through 9, the bronze serpent. The people have become easily discontented. They became impatient with God's path and their progress, and they complained. And the Lord judged their sinful attitudes. How did he do it? With snakes. 
Many of you want to know, why was there a snake on the pole? Right? You want to know that. Okay, we'll talk later. Oh, did you want to know that right now? What did Jesus become on our behalf? 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. What happened to Jesus on the cross? He was made a curse. He was made the snake. Snake, this is the thing that bit you and caused all the problem. Jesus, the sin of the world, your sin and mine, was placed upon him. And he became that on the cross. It's the perfect thing that should be on this pole, is the snake. Because this is the thing that was causing death. What happened? Jesus became death. He took the whole penalty for sin on himself. He became that curse on the cross. Great, great picture in the, the bronze serpent. But right here, it's because the people are easily discontented. The spiritually minded repent of complaining against God, go to him first with their needs and their frustrations, and they learn, as Paul did, to be content in any circumstance. Anybody struggling with a circumstance? Are you content? Huh. Careful as you look in the mirror tonight. Me too. The carnally minded become easily discontented, particularly with progress or lack of progress, and they complain. Eleventh picture, we're going to go real fast. This is where um, they're going to go, let's see, what is chapter 21, 5, oh, this is where they're complaining about what they have to eat. They take God's provisions for granted. The spiritually minded, however, remember that God provided manna to eat in the desert six days a week for 40 years. They're reminded that God anticipated their need for water and provided it. And they gratefully rejoiced over his faithful provision. They're traveling to Moab now. But the carnally minded take God's provisions for granted. Twelfth picture. The carnally minded, we're getting up to uh, fighting with the Moabites here, don't want to battle or make any progress. God gives his people victory over Sihon and Og, but the people don't necessarily want to go fight. The spiritually minded, on the other hand, Israel's enemies attempted to stop them by attacking them. Their strength to fight came from the Lord. They defeated their enemies and then occupied their land and understand that making spiritual progress means overcoming many enemies. So we talk in the next few weeks, we're going to kind of begin expanding on this just a little bit. Where are these enemies located? This is so important. There were two and a half tribes on the right-hand side of the Jordan. Right? Perhaps part of the promised land. 
Who's in the promised land? Enemies. What? There's enemies in the place God wants me to go? Yes. Yes. What does he want you to do? Fight. That's why Paul says, put on the full armor of God. We're, we're in a battle. The, some, of the, some of the time, our country, we have it so good, and, I, and we're blessed. And I think we've been good stewards of it. I'm not down on our country. But we have it so good, it's almost like we've already got heaven and we don't need any more. You go to some other places around the world, a little bit less. They're not looking to stay where they are any longer. <laughs> They're ready for heaven. The spiritually minded understand making progress, making spiritual progress means overcoming many enemies like some of the ones we might have touched on tonight. How about the enemy of anxiety? How about the enemy of worry? How about the enemy of frustration? How about the enemy of discontentment? Anybody have these enemies living in your promised land? Oh, baby, we're going to talk about that. But first, you've got to come to grips with the fact that where God wants you to go has enemies in the land that he has placed there. And you have to battle them in his power so that he can give victory and so that you will possess more of your territory, so to speak, if I stay with the land metaphor. The carnally minded don't want to battle or progress. The spiritually minded, on the other hand, are saying, with Joshua and Caleb, let's go. We can defeat these in the power of the Lord. Picture 13, the carnally minded, this is where um, Balaam and Balak, and there's this whole thing, and oh my gosh, it's this crazy tale. But the king, Balak, wants Balaam the prophet to curse Israel. That doesn't work out so well. Balaam can only say what God's going to give him to say, and he winds up blessing Israel three or four times. Balak, not too happy about that. Everybody seems to go home. Next story is we come on the Israelites, and someone has stirred up the Moabite camp to ask Israel to come and celebrate an idolatrous feast, which, by the way, might have a lot of licentious behavior going on there. And who's one of the people who gets killed? Balaam. Balaam is one of the people killed. Why? Because Balaam couldn't get to Israel this way, like a roaring lion, so he comes slithering in like a snake. And he gets Israel the other way. And he traps them in this horrible feast thing. And Balaam is one of the people killed in that, uh, when people get wiped out in that thing. Balaam is a bad guy in this story. He's in it for the money. The carnally minded, but here's Israel. They're marching along. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They don't know who's up on the high places looking over them. They have no clue. They're unaware of ongoing spiritual warfare around them. The spiritually minded, on the other hand, understand they're in a constant battle. They stay properly dressed and prepared for battle as good soldiers should, and they are always ready to fight. 
Israel has no idea there's spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes. Last picture. Chapter 25. This is where Moab seduces Israel. The carnally minded become complacent about compromising with the world. Hey, Israel, come on over. We're going to have this wild, crazy feast, idolatry, some crazy stuff happening. What do you think? Oh, yeah, we're in. Count us in. <laughs> what? The spiritually minded, on the other hand, know that God will protect his saint against many things, but he won't protect him from a choice to compromise. And the spiritually minded do whatever it takes to put to death the enemy within his camp. They don't mess around with these enemies. They see them as enemies, not as friends who live across a nice white picket fence next to them. Hello, Canaanite. How are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing great. Well, you didn't kill me yesterday or take me down, but uh, <laughs> I bet you're looking to do that today. I sure am. Okay, have a good day. See you tonight. And we go live our lives living next door to these Canaanites who are sin, waiting to take us down. And if they can't get us like a roaring lion, they're going to come at us like a snake. The spiritually minded do whatever it takes to put to death the enemy within his camp. The first generation, though redeemed from Egypt, were characterized by unbelief, faithlessness, and disobedience. They spent most of their lives led by carnal minds doing what was right in their own eyes and wasted their lives in the wilderness, never realizing all God had for them and had intended for them. For of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. What might it have been for the first generation of Israel had they obeyed and had they done what God wanted them to do as Joshua and Caleb? It might have been, but it wasn't. Yet, in the midst of this, See how God treats his saints with grace, faithfulness, and long-suffering. And this is how he's treated these people for 40 years. And this is how he's treated me and how he's treated you all of your life. With grace and faithfulness and long-suffering. And asking me over and over, Bill, do you want all that I have for you? Are you going to be content to just dabble around the edges? Do you want it? I have it here for you. It's reserved with your name on it. You ready? The Lord continues to invite you and me every day. Come on, Bill. Ready to go? I'm ready. Let's go. It's not the spiritually minded. Sorry, it's the spiritually minded, not the carnally minded saint who will enter into God's full inheritance for him and his generation. Let's let God's grace, faithfulness, and empowerment motivate us to remember our daily need for him, for his grace, and to walk accordingly in love. For next week, finish the book of Numbers, 10 short chapters. We'll wrap up the book of Numbers for next week. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word.
Uh, thank you that you love us enough to warn us. And thank you that even in that warning, you remind us how gracious and faithful and long-suffering and how much loyal love you have to your people and always have. Thank you for that great reminder. That's an encouragement to me. It doesn't beat me down. It reminds me I can get up tomorrow and we can go at this thing again and that you'll be ready, willing, and able uh, to, to walk with me uh, toward that destination. I pray that we would all do that, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.